Okay, hello and welcome to Wind Your Neck In, and I'm your host, Niall Annett. Now, we've had some special rugby guests on this season, but this man is a true icon of the game of rugby union. And with 63 Irish caps and a legendary 17 test caps for the Lions, and a lot more touring matches, I must say, which spanned over five tours, it's my honour to welcome Willie John McBride. Willie John, how are you keeping? I Actually, I, I don't know if you know this, but three weeks ago, I had a, quite a strong stroke, quite a heavy stroke. Oh, I didn't know and that. Hospital, so I'm home now. I'm home now two weeks uh, tomorrow today. Today, two weeks today. But I fully recovered, which is the good news, and and I have no problem. Yeah, no, that is great news. So I didn't know. I didn't hear that at all. Other than that, I'm keeping well. <laughs> good stuff. Well, I'm glad you're. I'm glad your health's keeping strong anyway, and I'm sure that was a pretty scary time for your family and stuff. Yeah, you still look fit. Let me fit me. If I look like that, whenever I'm your age, I'll be happy. I'm uh, old body starting to break down, and I'm only 29. Well, I hit. I hit the full score, but about a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were going to say happy birthday for. I think it was the sixth of June. You celebrated your 80th birthday. So fair play to you. That is. Uh, it's a great marker. Well, considering considering the punishment I've taken over the years, I I, I can't complain. Yeah, no, we're we'll, we're going to get into some of that punishment with some of those lions tests are are well infamous in their physicality. Uh, even in this day and age, you know the games progress and change a lot. But I think those games would be considered verging on boxing slash UFC matches and you guys really stood up to them. So we will get to that later on, Willie John. But first of all, obviously in this time of, of uh, COVID with some of the difficulties that uh, everybody's facing, you're talking about some of your health issues. How has it been for you being stuck kind of in the house without you know, at times being able to see your family? It's been a pretty difficult time all around, I'd imagine. Well, I've, I've been very fortunate. Actually. It has not been a problem for me because I have a three-acre sort of plot around me here and uh, I, I, that keeps me busy anyway. And, and while I didn't sort of get out outside, uh, it, that didn't worry me because I had loads going on. I was cutting grass, I was trimming hedges, I was mm. working with my vegetables, my chickens, uh, you know, I had plenty of things to do daily, so it didn't worry me at all. Yeah, no, that's a good. You're lucky. Yeah, you were kept busy. In fairness, that's yeah, brilliant. I think. Good. Yeah, I think people struggle with boredom a bit, but it sounds like from your early childhood. I know there's um, there's reports of that. You know, you didn't get into rugby until quite late because you were working the farm. I think it was the age of seventeen. Like, what were your responsibilities growing up, and how did you fall into rugby so late? Well, I I was born and brought up at a little farm. Uh, and of course, those were war years. 1940, I was born. So they were war years and they were tough years. But sadly, my father died when I was four and a half. And uh, there were five of us. And uh, my mother was a very brave woman, a tremendous manager. And she decided that she was keeping the farm, and uh, which meant we all had to work. We all had to work very hard. So we went to school in the mornings and we came back and we all had our little responsibilities in the evenings, whether it was... You know, there was no machinery, anything like that in those days. It was all manpower on the farm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had to carry in the fodder for the cattle. We had to pump the water for the cattle. There was no means water. All that sort of thing. So we all had our responsibilities. So there wasn't much time to chase after a rugby ball or a football. <laughs> there was no history of anything sporting in, in our family at that time. Yeah, no, I can imagine. But obviously, you're a you're a man mountain of a fella at a quite a young age as well. So there must have been people starting to look around and think like this fella could do a job for us. Well, I, I was always told. I remember my 
my mother told me whenever I was born, I was 12 pounds, 12 ounces. And you around and sort of said, well, he was half reared before you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. That I don't know like... if you knew this, but in my, my first sort of athletic efforts was pole vaulting. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, which was amazing. And it was just a, a, the PE teacher at school took me under his wing and he said, uh, I think that you could maybe do some pole vaulting. And he said, if you do, he said, I will give you all my attention, which he did. And I was 16 at that stage. And, uh, you know, I won the Ulster Schools Championships twice. Wow. You know, that is something. And I really enjoyed that. I really, and then, of course, <laughs> of course, I got too heavy from the pole and the pole broke. So. <laughs> I was going to say that the, the bend on that pole must have been pretty substantial. Well, no, there was no bend in the poles in those days. And, and there certainly was no mattresses to fall on. You fell into the sandpit. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's a, a harsher sport than uh, in this day and age where they're given the bendy poles and a nice big comfy mattress to land themselves on. That's right. There was no health and safety in those days. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, um, you know, so obviously there was a natural athletic ability there and that ob- that became very evident when you did transition into rugby and were your first matches for, I know you were, you were educated at Palomina Academy. That's correct. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I was sort of encouraged out to play in a, in a house team and, uh, you know, I, I must have impressed the, the rugby teacher and, and he said, oh, you'll be playing in the third team on Saturday. And uh, it was just as quick as that. And then I was on the first team. And then the very first, after I played a few games, I was on the Ulster Schools team. Yeah. It, it was all as quick as that. And, you know, when I think back now, it was just ridiculous because I was 17 at that stage. When I was 21, I was running out in a Lions test in Cape Town. It was absolutely crazy. It certainly, yeah. it certainly wouldn't happen nowadays because I survived it all. Well, thankfully, thankfully. But I think that's, uh, you know, there must have been stages where you were catching yourself thinking like, wow, this has progressed like faster than I ever could have thought. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy because I, I never dreamed it was just something that developed and developed and developed. And then I'm suddenly there. It was absolutely crazy. Because the first year that I played in the, in the international team, uh, you know, I got an alliance side. It's really amazing. Yeah, well, it's testament, I'm sure, to the qu- the quality of rugby you were playing. I was very much the young guy on the team. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, look, I want to get in the first team. I want to get in the test team. And I remember I worked, I get into the third test. Yeah, I think um, whilst, we're, whilst we're on the lines, Willie John, you know, there's... I've spoken to a couple of guys throughout this podcast experience. Uh, some of the guys you'll know particularly well, guys like uh, Keith Wood, who was an absolute legend of a man, and Donico Callahan, yeah. two two very proudly Irish, proud Irishmen who played rugby at the highest level for their countries. And whilst they accepted that it, they maybe didn't have the same emotional attachment of playing for your country, they definitely said that it was the pinnacle of their careers to play in a Lions test or to be selected for a Lions tour. So with that being the case, I suppose before we discuss your experiences, I've gone on five Lions tours, which is just unbelievable. Do you feel the threatening of a legacy whenever you hear about the Lions tours being reshuffled and moved and people just start you know, discussing whether it's an important thing or not? Because if you asked every professional rugby player, I think, playing, over 95% of them would say that being picked for a Lions tour would be the most special thing going. Quite honestly, uh, now, I, I, you know, when I look at the game, it's an entirely different game from what I played. But apart from that, I, I quite honestly, and I mean this, I quite honestly believe that they have made a total mess of rugby. Professionalism, professional era came in 
And one of the things is Lions Church. We have a message at Lions Church. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. <clears throat> because to be one of the best players in the four countries, and that's what a lion is, that is special, very, very special. And those tours to, in my day, it was South Africa and New Zealand. And to go there against two of the major countries, that was a tremendous, not only for us, but for the host. It really was something very special. And not only not only to play rugby and to play in the test, but we spread the word, we spread rugby right across those countries. And we visited schools, we did all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, it, it was way beyond the actual playing on the field. We seem to have lost what rugby was all about, what the Lions was all about. We seem to have lost the ethos that was built up for many, many years. And yeah. I find that yeah. very, very sad. And here we are going next year in the Lions to with eight games, including, including three tests. It's absolutely crazy. You can't build the Lions team in five, five games outside. Crazy. Sorry, it's all to do with, it's all to do with money. It's all to do right. with the big money. Right. And, and, and that there's a lot to be said around this structuring of a global calendar so that certain unions well, I, benef- I, yeah, benefit financially. Yeah, crazy. I, I don't know what they're trying to Of course, it is all money. And, uh, you know, I think this COVID thing and the problems that we've had economically and everywhere has really hit the professional sports. It's saddening, isn't it, Willie John? Because what actually, um, if you look back to those tests, and we're going to go through some of them in, in detail because some of them are, the stories behind them are incredible. But when you go through what the Lions Tour represents, you talked about the players from the four best nations um, being picked for one team, and that was really special for you. So you, that's, there must be part of you that feels like, whilst you used to go on tours that could last up to like four months, you know, and more at times, you would play tours that you know you would play upwards of thirty games, and now you see this product being compressed into, you know, some tours that have between seven and twelve games maximum. Really, actually, it's getting less and less and less. That must sadden you to a certain degree. It's absolutely crazy, and. Uh... You know, I think the first tour I was on, I think he played something like 30 games. Yeah. We went to we went to, Egypt, we went to South Africa. I think it was something like 30 games. And then, of course, my next tour, 66, uh, we went to Australia, New Zealand. We went to Australia simply because the Australian rugby was financially broke. And then, of course, we went to New Zealand. That tour was over four months. It was crazy, absolutely crazy. But it was wonderful. It was better so- than working. Yeah, well, I can, I'm sure you you were obviously you were a main fe- a feature in the bank at, in those days, weren't you? That was what you did in your in your time away from rugby, and you are part of the, you know, the the original rugby players who had to manage their time with working and and rugby, and there must have been some challenges yeah. that came with that. Well, that that wasn't easy, you know. When I look back now, as I say, I'm 80 years of age. When I look back now, I really feel as if I've had about four lives. You know, I had my life on the farm. Uh, I had my life in the rugby world. I had my life in the bank because I did 36, 37 years in banking. And then I've been retired now for 20 odd years. So it's uh, it's been a, a long journey. <laughs> yeah, I know. You've done some amazing things. Let's let's get to that first Lions tour in 62, um, that tour of South Africa and Rhodesia, which is now known as Zimbabwe. When you when you got that, I'm sure it was done by letter. Um, or in those days, when you get that Lions letter and it says that you've been selected to go on the tour, what are your first and initial thoughts? Well, you know, you knew you were in with a chance uh, because, you know, it builds up, builds up, and then you get in the Irish team. And then it's the Lions, it's the Lions here. 
So you, you have a feeling of how you did it. You think, oh, I'm in there with a chance I might be able to get in. And then, of course, it becomes a reality. And it really is, you know, you were jumping up and down for a few yeah. days and you really couldn't believe it. Really, it was out of this world. The one thing I remember about that is when I think of it nowadays, I suppose professional rugby players have a business class. There was no such thing as business class. In those days. <laughs> we were all the same. We were in this cabin truck all the way. And I remember going, we flew to Kenya first. And, you know, I think it took about two days to get to Kenya because it kept nearly all the way. <laughs> I can imagine it was a, it was a hell of a trip. Really were no nice but what an experience at that age to be asked to go and mix it up with some of those top well, top for a young guy players. from Manigas, uh who really had experience very little I had been to London once I'd been to Paris once I'd been to Dublin a few times but suddenly to get on a plane and go to Africa it just was out of this world really out of this world yeah. So obviously on that on that uh, tour, you had um, some you know guys like Sid Miller there, who was a Balamina and Irish legend. Did 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 he keep putting arm around you and look after you, or okay. were you expecting? Oh, yes. uh, Sid obviously was a good club man with with me, and uh, Sid was very good. But you know, I played against all the rest of the guys I played against through that particular year. So you know, you, you gradually get to know them. So I. I uh, you weren't with a bunch of strangers, you know, guys that um, guys that you respected, and hopefully the guys that some respect you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then you talked you talked there earlier on about getting into that test team for the third test, but obviously before that you played. I mean, you'd already played the best part of you know twenty games before you make that uh, third test team. Did you have to put your pull your socks up and really work yourself into that test team through performance, or or what was the situation? It's a problem with that because. I got kicked in the leg. The biggest injury I ever had playing rugby league was kicked. I had my fibula smashed in Paris. And uh, I was recovering from that before I went on the tour. Yeah. I even get on the tour because of this. So I, I was still recovering on that when we met and we got together. So I missed a few games at the beginning. Remember the big breakthrough was against Transvaal. And my captain and Irish team at that time was a guy called Bill Taki. Mm-hmm. I had great, great respect for it. And I remember we were playing against Transvaal and the captain of the Springboks at that time was a guy called Avril Milan. And he, he was a lot forward. And I remember my guy saying to me, he was great. He was most helpful. He said to me, he said, you know, if we have a good day today against Transvaal, he said, you might get in this team. I was always a good scrummager and Mokati was always a good scrummager. And I remember we were out against Transvaal who were the sort of uh, champions, the provincial champions in South Africa. And we gave him a hiding that day. It was unbelievable. That was the one game that got me into the into the best side. Yeah, you beat them twenty four three. Um, and in fairness, Willie John, like that sort of score in those days, relative to now, it doesn't seem you know it's three tries and maybe a penalty. But in those days, that was a, that's an absolute hammering. Well, that was a hiding. Yeah, that was a hiding, and uh, <laughs> it really was terrific. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, there was parts of Lions tours in those days that were really crazy. We had no coach, and uh, you know we did it ourselves. Well, the senior guys more than me, but you see, everybody had their say. But the captain usually brought things together. And, you know, there was no guidance, and here we were playing against people who the Springboks had never been beaten at that stage. We didn't believe. We knew that we could sort of worry them and get in among them and give them a hard game. But I don't think that we honestly thought that we could beat them. I, I remember going one time to Monster with the Ulster. Way in the early days, I remember there was a banner up 
stand and it said, believe. And there was another banner on the other side that said, stand up and fight. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there were two things that stuck in my mind. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to believe that you're best. Otherwise, there's no point in playing. Yeah, and, and I think you talk candidly about whenever, you know, we will get to those later years whenever you were the captain and, and the tour before that in 71, you know, where that mentality started to shift. But if we can touch on that 66 tour quickly, because I, we talked about it briefly before and, you know, you were talking about <laughs> the amount of games you played. In this 1966 tour to Australia and New Zealand, you played 35 matches, you know, over over the course of, of uh, four plus months. And, being away from your families for that long, never mind um, your families, but also having to put your jobs on hold. How do you, how do you balance that? How does that become acceptable for you to leave the bank, or were they very good to you? I was working for I was with a company called Northern Bank in, in Ireland. Uh, we were a subsidiary of Midland Bank, and Midland Bank were tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Because I could salary otherwise, I could be gone. They were absolutely tremendous. So that wasn't a problem. That wasn't a worry uh, when I was away on tour. Uh, I was going to say, luckily, I wasn't married. I wasn't married in my first tour, and I wasn't married in my second tour. So, uh, you know, that wasn't a problem. Family wasn't a problem. Yeah. Because I was there, and I was fighting my own corner all the way. But, uh, yeah, it's a way a long time. But, you know, there, there were guys. One of the problems in the Lions tour was, was, was homosexuality. There were guys who were homesick, and that was one of the problems. But some guys didn't play their best because they, they just they wanted to be back home. Uh, it never was a problem for me. I could have, I could have toured off my <laughs> So it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that, 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 that tour in particular was one that I was really interested in because, you know, there was. Oh, it was tough. It was really, really tough. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. different things like that. In South Africa, the game was playing the dry ball. Hard ground, it was played at 100 miles an hour. Uh, whereas in New Zealand, in those days, those were the days of rocking. And I wish we still had those, but there were some of it went far beyond what rocking is all about. But they were tough days. So it, were, it was a different game in New Zealand. It was on a wet ground and the ball was sticky, the ball was wet. And it was a very physical game. You know, scrummaging was one of the big things. I believe still that the team that scrummages best is usually the team that wins the game. All the, all the front rowers that I that I play with will be delighted delighted to hear you say that. We saw that in the last World Cup. Yeah, we did because South Africa were uh, a phenomenally strong scrum, and there's but there's oh. an element of people out there, Willie John, who want to see the scrum taken away from it, the game. Yeah, well, it's crazy, absolutely, because that's what the game is all about. You know, I have always firmly believed that get your scrum right, everything falls into place. Because yeah. you're then the next move and the next move and the next. Your scrum is good, you're in charge. They, 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 they don't seem to be able to scrummage nowadays. It all keeps falling on the ground. I can yeah. fall on the ground in my day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were scared to fall on the ground or else you didn't know what was going to happen to you? too long. Yeah, even the whole setup of how the scrums put together obviously is it's it looks like a different sport. You know, there you there's this kind of I never played in the coming together where you would kind of bind together and charge from about three or four meters away. Um, oh, but, yeah. crazy, yeah, absolutely crazy. But it was good. It was good. And and you know, one of the things when I look back to the Irish team in those days, that was the one point or one era, one area where we could sort of not dominate, but at 
Much. Good, good old farmer strength, I think, would have come in handy there because we had a lot of uh, people who were used to working the ground and, and they were super yeah, strong men. And, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And you know, when we went to New Zealand, you know, when I think about it, we were playing against New Zealand farmers. And when we went to South Africa, we were playing against poor farmers. And, uh, you know, it was tough, tough stuff. So if we if we move just onto that 1971 um, tour, Willie John, and I think you know the tide starts to turn because up to then it had been a tough run of of a few wins and losses here and there, but then in '71 you go and beat the the All Blacks outright in a series win, and you're still the only team to this day who's done that in an outright win. Obviously, we had the tour not not long ago where they drew it, um, but an outright win, and it's amazing. And, and Gerald Davies had a quote. Um, who you would know particularly well, having toured with him multiple times. But he said, somewhere along the line, it became a mental thing. We grew in confidence and we, we, we came to believe it was possible to beat the All Blacks. And you referred to that earlier in the way that you talked about this belief banner and this mentality shift. Do you remember that feeling whenever you just started to actually think, lads, we're a good team here. We can beat anybody. You know, it's, it's, it's the thing. Uh, there's a little story about that, uh, that uh, the beginning of that. I had been in three tours, 62, 66, 68. And, you know, I, I was beginning to think, look, I've been in three tours, this is brilliant. Uh, but, you know, it's time I gave my career a bit of a boost to stay home. And I really was going to not go on that tour. And I remember Carwin James, who was a great little Welshman, who uh, was coaching that tour for the first time ever. And he phoned me and he said, uh, could we have lunch sometime? And I said, certainly. He said, I'm going to Belfast. We'll have lunch. And remember, we, we sat at the lunch just the two of us and we talked to him. He said, I want to talk to you about New Zealand, New Zealand tour. And I said, Yeah, go ahead. And he says, I want to, we played against all the other golf bowlers. I want to talk to you about what players would you respect that might go to New Zealand. And I said, Well, that's interesting because no coach has ever talked to me about this. And anyway, we had a long chat. I remember at the end of that lunch, he looked at me and he said, did I hear a rumor that you may not be available? He said, well, he sat back, but I'll never forget him. And he smoked cigarettes. I remember he sat back, blew the smoke out, and he said, but Willie John, he says, I need you. And I remember it really knocked me off the chair because nobody had ever talked to me in my life before. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I like this. I like this. And he said, I promise you, this will be a different thing. We are going to win this. And I liked all that sort of positive talk. Yeah. And I left that lunch. I I gave myself a drink. And, uh, you know, it it was just absolutely brilliant uh, to be on that tour. And, you know, when I think now that one of the privileges of my life is to play in a team with a backline of Gareth Edwards, Larry John, Mike Gibson, John Dawes, David Duffin, Gareth Davis, and JPR Williams. And I don't think very few people were other than we were on that tour can boast that. And it's one of my proud boasts today that I played in that team. It was an unbelievable team that you played in. I looked through some of the names and they are legends of the game. Yeah, I ended up, I was leading the forwards. And and, uh, I remember he said to me, uh, I said, look, Kevin, what what do you want to do? He said, look, I just want the ball. He says, we have a back line that will beat the All Blacks. And he said, I just want the ball. I don't care where it comes from. I don't care how you get it. I just want you to get the ball. Mm. And, uh, I remember him saying, he said, my philosophy is every team that plays against the All Blacks today, when they get the ball, they kick it. 
and they take it back to the old guys. He said, I can never understand that. He said, we are not going to take it. We are going to run at them. And that's exactly what we did. And we beat them. It really was unbelievable. Now, we didn't beat them terribly convincingly, but we beat them. And that was a big, big step forward. Huge step forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when I looked at that and that, that those results that you had, and you, it's so interesting that you talk about the mentality was to get the ball off them and keep the ball, which is a way that they wouldn't have been used to being played against. But when you were standing there and you're facing down that hacker with some, you know, we talk about some of the legends that played in that British and Irish Alliance teams. There are some particularly big all-black characters in that team as well. Guys like Sir Colin Meads, um, oh, yeah. you know, a legend of the all-black game. What was it like facing them? Well, I played against Colin Meads. I didn't know who he was or what, what it was all about in 1963. When they toured over here, I played against him in Dublin, and I was, what, only 20, 22 at that stage. This guy, Meads, I remember him sort of pushing me out of the way a couple of times. And me, I warned him, I said, don't do that again. It made no difference. <laughs> so I had to deal with it myself. And uh, I dealt with it in any way. He was on the ground, which sort of surprised him. And uh, I remember uh, we beat them. No, they beat us that day 6 5 in Dublin. It was amazing. It was the attitude of the old guys. You just were never beaten. It was as simple as that. Right to the last moment. And you know, in those days, we played 80 minutes. Every game I played in my life was 80 minutes. We played 80 minutes. And, you know, normally the old guys, they were fitter than we were. And normally they beat their teams in the last minute. They were just so good and so strong. And they were so <clears throat> so well organized. Of course, they had a coach and they had a system. Yeah, I think the um the, the interesting thing you've said there was something else I read about was that the the last fifteen minutes were the almost all black time where they would take the game over and take control of it. When you went into that Yeah. To a different level, and I suppose my question is, um, Willie John, if 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 you've acknowledged that, was there work that was put in to, in a, you know, rugby at that stage, there was no no analysis, there was no, um, you know, cameras on everything. You didn't review it the same way that we do now, but very clearly, you'd acknowledge that in the last 15, 20 minutes, they they lifted their game, and you needed to as well. So, was there a shift in the way that you guys had trained? Did you do some extra conditioning or fitness, or was it a mentality thing where you just thought, right, this is the last fifteen? 20, we need to up it now? Well, I, I think it was a bit of both, really, because, as I say, most of them came from farming backgrounds. Their forwards came from farming backgrounds. Whereas we were a bit different. I, I know I was from a farming background. It may have been one or two others from farming backgrounds. But a lot of our guys came from software tech backgrounds. <laughs> they, maybe just didn't, they maybe just didn't have that, that grit and determination that the farming background did. Uh, and that was a big help to them as well. I remember in 71, uh, one of our strong points was in the line-out. Our scrummaging was okay. In the line-out, uh, we had Mervyn Davis. He was an amazing man. He was a tall, skinny fellow. He was really a basketball player. Yeah. And he never really got the grips with him. He nearly virtually won every ball in the air. And I can honestly say that Mervyn never lost the ball yeah, so I think the 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 one thing we we should acknowledge as well, you know, there's that mentality shift, but that Welsh Grand Slam team of 1971, which would have been difficult for you to accept as an Irish player, but how big an influence did that Welsh Grand Slam team of 71 with some of the guys that you named have on that Lions tour? Yeah, well, you know, 
one of the things when I look back now, I, I was sort of coming came through that era when Ron Shrugby really stood up and they produced all these players like Barry John, for instance. Uh, and there were many others, Gerald Davis, all these guys. Uh, and yet I'm grateful that I, it did happen in that era because I had the chance to play with these guys. Yeah. They had tremendous, they, they just had that tremendous belief in themselves. And you know, I don't know about you in your, in your, your rugby life, but I'm probably two different people because I can sit here and I can talk about it, and I can laugh, and I can do things. But you know, put me in a pair of shorts and put on a pair of rugby boots. I'm in a completely different animal. Yeah, and I will refuse. To, I will refuse to be second best to anything. And I think that you have to have that attitude if you're going to survive, and if you're going to reach where you want to reach. And you know, I think that uh, a lot of the best players had that. Yeah, that was something that, that we had to teach ourselves. So one of the things that has been quite interesting before we before we move on to the infamous seventy four tour, this seventy one, this mentality shift's really interesting for me, um, Willie John. And one of the things I'd like to touch on is that people who I've spoken to, like I talked about uh, Keith Wood and Donick, you know, they say that they went to these tours they played with these guys that they normally spent the rest of the time kicking the heads off each other, but then they actually, they were like sponges around them. I know Donica speaks quite candidly about experiences he had with some of the other second rows and how he took his performance level to the next level because he was sharing time with these guys who did things maybe differently or they learned off them. So would you say that you were born with that mentality and that was just Willie John McBride from a young man or did you adopt some of that belief and that um, competitiveness from some of those Welsh guys you know, throughout your time on those Lions tours with them? Well, you know, I, I think there's a bit of a, uh, you know, I was lucky that I was around for such a long time. You see, you gain experience on the Lions tour, but you don't learn in the Lions tour where you don't, you just are not going to learn anything. So <laughs> I had, before I went to 74, I had four Lions tours behind me, and one of those against me, the best team in the world, was the old Lions. Yep. So you've learned, you've learned a heck of a lot. And not only that, uh, you see where mistakes were made. So you learn, you know, it's, it's literally that word experience. You gain that experience as you go along. Uh, and it all goes down again. You see, half the game is about up here, about the mental approach to the game. And if that's not right, well, you're not going to win. I don't care how good you are. Mentally, you have to have that right. Absolutely. Couldn't couldn't agree more. I think that is absolutely spot on. And then I suppose it leads us nicely to the 74 tour where the Invincibles, you know, they're synonymous with what the Lions are and everybody, you know, loves hearing the stories about what that tour involved because physically it was very demanding. There was obviously some political issues off the pitch, which are well documented, but you, for the first time, have the ability to really put your stamp on this because you're firstly appointed captain of that tour. And um, how did it feel when you were given that honour? Well, it, it was something that I really, really looked forward to. You know, in, during that year, actually, Ireland won the championship, and uh, it was nice to be involved with that. That that was a bit special for Ireland, really special. For of course. But during that year, there was a lot of work done, and of course, Sid was the coach of Miller. Of course, he and I talked, and I, I had a sort of inkling. I didn't really know, but I had an inkling. But I had an influence, let's put it that way. But uh, so it, it just was great, you know, uh, and we talked about the 
players that they thought would go to South Africa and stand up for the Spring Park. And you know, they had never been beaten at that stage. Yeah. They had never been beaten in this stage. So that was another little bit of history. He said, look, we're, we're in trouble here with this Lions tour. But if we could play a game against the Colours and a, uh, play a game against the Blacks, we might be able to get this tour off the ground. And I remember Danny Cavan came back to the Home Unions and said, I've been to the government, but I felt that yes, it's on. They were permitted to do that. And you know, that was another first in that tour. We played a game against the Colours, we played a game against the, the Blacks. And it may not have changed the whole world, but it was a, it was a little beam of light that showed that something was, was changing, it was going to happen. And it did take another few years, but at least it was different. It was good that we were able to do that. My whole purpose of coming to South Africa is to beat the spring blocks on the test series. That's why we're here. A little did I know that we would go through an, un, an unbeaten tour at that stage, but I knew that we had the men to do it, and I knew that we had bunch of men after the first week I knew we were totally committed not only to what we were trying to do to win the test series but to each other and you know the loyalty they had something in that tour that is very precious today very rarely talked about and that was loyalty yeah. loyalty you know you lay a finger on one of those guys on the rugby field and you, you suffered it and uh, it really was just remarkable it's crazy and like I, I had an absolute field day looking through some of the stats and some of the history around it. You know, I, I as a massive Lions supporter, as people who listen to the podcast will know, I, I'm a big advocate of the Lions because I remember years ago being a young academy player being asked, oh, what's your dream? And it was always to play for Ireland and to play for the Lions. And I think, you know, to go and win 21 out of the 22 games, to be unbeaten through a whole tour against the team that you talked about, you know, they were... A, a complete powerhouse of a team. Um, but then the most impressive thing for me, Willie John, was to physically stand up to these these South African men who were man, man mountains. They were, but they wanted to physically dominate you. And whilst physically dominating you, they wanted to mentally dominate you. And, you know, it's, it's synonymous with this tour, this 99 call, where if one person gets touched, everybody comes in and backs them up. And I love that. Can you talk me through the process of you putting that together? It, it virtually it verged on nearly bullying. Yes. And, you know, I, I remember at one stage saying we, we had a couple of incidents in the games, but we won the games where it was just crazy things happening on the ground. But, you know, when the ball had gone, there would be holding guys down. And some stupid things, a guy would get a kick or a knee or something like that. Yeah. And I remember the referee one day. Because we, had, we were no neutral referees in those days. We were all selected referees. And I remember saying to this guy, if you don't stop this nonsense, we will stop it. And uh, he looked at me and I said, you know what's going on. I know what's going on. But you're the only man that can stop it unless you want to hand it over to us. And uh, then, of course, that came the big day when, when we, had to, we had to deal with it ourselves. And that was tragic on bullying, too, because... They, they didn't know, but by the time it started to out, and it was all over quite, quite quickly, and we didn't have any more trouble for the rest of the tour. Because they saw for the first time that uh, we weren't going to take it, it was as simple as that, and that we could be equally as physical as they were. And you know, one of the greatest feelings on that tour was that we had a strong, absolutely outstanding, and we totally dominated everything. And I, I remember there was one incident in the first game, the first test, 
And I remember being in the test, the, the, the dressing room, and the 15 guys had gone to the stand that were, weren't we did. And uh, the 15, I was left in the, with the team in the, in, the, in, in the dressing room. And I remember we used to have a little system that we would sort of warm up, and, and we wouldn't, didn't go out to warm up, but we did our warm up things in, in, the, in the room. And, uh, and then we would just sit down and have a little sort of time to ourselves, a few minutes to ourselves, just to think. Of our first game, our first scrum, our first lineout, how we were going to get into this game, we would just think about that. And then I would say a few things, and then I would read them out. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, I've talked to this team in the last six games, and they must have fed up listening to me. And here I am sitting with some of the best players in the world, and I really don't have anything more to say because we've done our preparation, we've done all those things, we know exactly what our responsibilities are. And I thought, strongly. And I said, psychologically, when we go out here today, the very first scrum we have, when Garth puts the ball in, uh, we will just get the ball to Mervyn at the back of the scrum, and we will hold it. And on my call, we will lift this and we will drive it forward. And psychologically, we'll not take, we can't take that. Yeah. And I remember uh, everybody saying, you know, we were just ready to go. And I remember we were out under the field. And, you know, it was a great feeling for me to get the ball, to walk out onto that team and say, say, you know, we're here, we're ready, we're going to be number one. And I remember the first scrum that day, and it was that it was done. And I remember we'll get down in the scrum, and I'll never forget it, because uh, I get down the scrum, and I can see right up and down where I was low, I was very low. And uh, I remember looking up and down the scrum, the inside, and I could see the ball, and I could see Gareth, and our... our uh, Lucy had, had, had the man right down, right down about six inches off the ground. I could see the ball, I could see Gareth's hands, and I thought, these are going to get that ball in there. <laughs> Lucy just lifted the guy up with one fist, like this, and Gareth rolled the ball in and he brought it down again. And it wow, him. wow. And I remember Bobby Windsor, a great guy, strong. Bobby Windsor hooked the ball with his head. I'll never forget that. He hooked the ball with his head. We got it back to Mervyn. There's a little sort of secret there in the scrum that when they put the pressure on, of course, they put the pressure on, and we held it. And it was a sort of, you can hit them on that rebound, you were always beaten. Yeah. I gave it all of you, hit them that rebound, and we drove it back to three meters, and they all collapsed in a heap. And I remember Bobby Windsor, who loved this, and he was, Bobby's nose was around here, his ears were around here. There was bits of Bobby missing, I think. And, <laughs> Bobby addressing the whole springboard. And, and Mouse McLaughlin, Mouse McLaughlin, he thought this was brilliant. And I remember him coming in, he was quick after him, he said, ah, and he said, there's 80 more minutes of it, he says. <laughs> and that's, so the, I, that's the psychological battle. Well, psychologically, we had beaten that day. It was amazing. I think we won the test series in that first round. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's amazing to reflect on. I just think... And their skills, their skills with the ball and, and just their sheer strength and being the right place at the right time. It just was brilliant. 
So would you say, Willie John, that that, uh, that first scrum was the point at which you knew that the South African team couldn't bully you? And do you, if not then, when was it when you remember them almost thinking like, okay, they're not going to be bullied? And, and at which point do you remember thinking like, we can, we can really outmuscle this team, we can really stand up to this team, we can, or, or was it as early in the tour as the first, you know, you said within the first well, week you I, knew there was a special group? You know, they didn't realise there was an Ulsterman, indeed a few Ulsterman. A few Ulster men in this team who just didn't stand back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was the first time ever. But, you know, you can well imagine after that first test, because we were, we, we were written down. And uh, I remember the South African press just couldn't believe it. We guess what they were writing after that. And then, of course, the South African, the South African selectors just didn't know what to do. Yeah. Was, they ran around changing the team and they kept changing the team. And you will never get a team to win anything if you keep changing it. That 74 tour was just, um, it's just stuff of legends now, and there's a lot of... Um, yeah, but then again, you know, it was way beyond, way beyond what happened in the field. In the you know, I was telling you that I had a bit of a knock a few weeks ago, you know, and all the guys, I would say, Barnum, uh, were on the phone to me or text me or something. And, you know, that is still there after about 40 odd years. Yeah. So would you say that's why that's why it was so successful? Oh yeah, it was about people, and it was about that togetherness and about people. It was all about people, and you know that for me nowadays is what rugby is all about. It's about yeah. You're absolutely right. I think even in this day and age where, where I play, you know, professionally in inverted commas, uh, the sport for me is still about the people I play with. I feel I play my best rugby when I've got an attachment to the people I'm playing with. Yeah. But, you know, uh, we had, we've had a couple of reunions, you know, since 74. And we had one, uh, we won fairly recently, 45, 45 years. It must have been, what, 2009, was it? Yeah. And uh, you, the, the guys all there, sadly, there's three of them gone, Brown, Mervyn Davis, Gordon Brown, and Andy Ripley are gone, sadly. But, you know, we all got together and lived. we're all old men. We're all old men now, you know. After half an hour in the bar, it was just we were like as if we were back in tour again, you know. <laughs> absolutely crazy, although we didn't stay up too late. Oh, I don't think we can hold that against you. And you know, here's these busload of silly old men singing the songs that we sang. Oh, <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Easy, 45 years later. Oh, I think it's brilliant. I think that is what sports about. That's what, particularly, oh, what yeah. my perception of Lions tours were about. So, if we if we reflect on those those five Lions tours, and you know, you go on in 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 1975, you retire from from rugby altogether. I think there's a whole host of completely deserved acknowledge accolades and acknowledgements that you get. You know, you're inducted into the International Rugby Hall of Fame in '97. In 2004, you're named by the Rugby World magazine as the person, rugby personality of the century. And eventually, in 2019, you're given a CBE. I think rugby gave a lot to you, but it's also very fair to say that you put a lot into the sport. And as a result, you know, the sport hasn't changed that much. You know, this talk of playing for people, playing, not being bullied, standing together as a team. These are things that you implemented, you know, 40 plus years ago. How do you reflect on that career overall? Well, you know, I, I've always, of course, my, my career was about people. Banking was about people. So 
I remember somebody saying to me at a management conference one time, you know, how do you manage your, your, your branch? And I remember saying to them, well, I manage my branch like a rugby team and I'm the captain. And, you know, that's still, it's something that you can take through life. And yeah. that's, where sport is so, that's where sport is so important because sport is all about who you compete against. It's about meeting those people. It's about getting to know them. It's about all those things. And uh, as I say, when you went on tour with the Lions, we were all from different backgrounds, totally different backgrounds. You know, you had bankers and clerks, teachers, and all sorts of people and doctors. And, uh, you know, they all think differently. They all, and to bring that together was a tremendous exercise. So that we could build that respect and that, that everybody had a respect for each other and could understand. The tolerance that was required at times was unbelievable. And yet we achieved that. It was terrific. Yeah, I think it ties in nicely, Willie John, to the final kind of subject, which I want to discuss with you, because as one of the most iconic leaders to have played the game, um, you know, your your thoughts on leadership and what makes a good leader is probably a, an effective question. So in your opinion, what makes people, you know, strong and, 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 lead, and leaders that people will follow? Well, I, you know, I think from my point of view and on the team point of view, it was about getting to know the people. Talk to, talk to the players, talk to each player. And I talked to my players and, and said before I would have talked to them, well, certainly every week at various stages when we would have meals, dinner, uh, you know, lunch. That You sat at different tables and you talked to different guys and you listened to what their worries were and what their problems were. And you, is there anything I can do there that's going to make this easier? All that sort of stuff. And, you know, that was, and, and we begin to get their respect if you can sort out a few problems uh, for them. And I'm, I'm sure that they individually are important. They're important to the team. They're important to what you're trying to do. Uh, and I think that, you know, you can't buy loyalty. It's about, it's about creating it and getting people all moving in one sort of direction. And, uh, you know, I was lucky in that. I was I was able to sort of manage that and get guys get guys to come with me and, and uh, I suppose in many ways I took that into my banking career. So you know it, it's, it's a lot of this that runs into the stream of life really as you go on. And I and I still go back to that that uniqueness of '74 where we had that bunch of men, very strong men. We were a bunch of very strong men, and yet at the end of the day. Their worries were simple things. Like I remember at one occasion Gordon Brown saying he wasn't sleeping, and I said, "Why are you not sleeping, Gordon?" And he said, "Well, the bed was rubbish." He said, "I'm sleeping on the floor," you know. And I said, "Well, why did you tell me that long ago?" And we got Gordon into a proper bed. You know, simple things. Yeah. And I think when you deal with simple things, people begin to step up and say, "Look, they care." I remember Andy Ripley saying to me at one stage, and Andy wasn't on the test team. And we used to have a laugh about this. And uh, I remember Andy saying, You didn't put me on the test team, but I still love you. And uh, I would say, Why is that, Andy? <laughs> and he used to say, Because you care. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's about simple things, really. Yeah, really simple emotional skills, but um, people take them for granted. And actually, I think it's very evident that that connection is still there, that you got it really right. I mean, on the flip side of that, what were some of the hard parts of that leadership uh, role that you took? 
But I, I, I seem to get on reasonably well uh, with the media. You know, because it was never a problem at home. Yeah. Anyone in the lounge, anyone in the lounge, we're all there. And the local media, of course, were pushing their own men, actually. And if things were to get, if you could see a little change that they could stir up trouble, they would, they would do that. Uh, I, I remember there was a, there was one occasion where I was called to a team meeting because there was a bit of trouble the night before with some of the players. And they, they were running around and they said they were scrummaging naked in the corridors. <laughs> you see, and uh, I remember I was called to this press uh, conference. And there they were. They were all sitting there with their cameras and their notebooks and everything. And they said, uh, as captain of the team, one of you got to say that the health is in the team. And I said, you know, I'm very, very disappointed. And they all was, and they're all very, very disappointed. And I said, yes. I said, you know, we have scrums for 20 minutes every day in this tour. And I said, this is the first scrums in the session I've lost by the team. <laughs> <laughs> and they all virtually they all virtually threw their notepads in the <laughs> They get nothing from you. They get nothing from you at all. That is brilliant. Well, I think, listen, Willie John, it has been my absolute honor and pleasure to speak to you today. I think, you know, uh, I'm glad your health's better. I'm glad you're, you're, keep, you're keeping better after a couple of weeks ago. But I think one of the most iconic names in rugby, and to this day, I think that, that legacy will stand for a long, long time, if not forever, as long as rugby's still going. I think we're both in agreement that the Lions tour needs to take precedence in, in the cal- rugby calendar, right? Well, you see, one of, the things, yeah, one of the things that annoys me is that when there's some stupid game that they have to organise, they can organise it overnight, and there's none of this stuff. Surely every four years you can organise the proper Lions tour. I can't understand, I can't understand why that doesn't. Yeah, I think they, they maybe they're losing the. Destroy Lions tours, and it becomes no more part of the game. Well, I think we need to give up playing. Yeah, I think that's a fair sentiment. I think there's a lot of people that echo that and hopefully the people with the power to be will take notice of legends like yourself expressing opinions like that because you're not the first and you know guys like Keith Wood and Donica who we talked about were as strongly in, in support of what you're saying. So Willie John, I'd just like to, to say a huge thank you for taking an hour out of your day to, to speak to me. It's been my absolute honour as someone who grew up looking up to you. So thank you so much and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Well, thank you for those kind words. I must say that... Uh, this is the first time since in the last three weeks that I've been, I've been tested mentally. So hopefully, well, you, hopefully, hopefully there's nothing wrong there. No, you've come up trumps. You've absolutely smashed it. Thank you so much, Willie John. Okay. Thank you. And thank you to Shannon for arranging all this. Yeah, thank you so much, Shannon. Really appreciate it's that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Okay.